0: Today's episode of the Essential Tennis Podcast is brought to you by SomersetSportsPerformance.com. Thank you very much for joining me today on the podcast. I'm going to be answering some listener questions today, and our topics will span a pretty wide range of subjects. We're going to be talking about serves and the kick serve specifically. We're also going to be discussing playing with confidence in competition as opposed to just in practice play. We're also going to be talking about starting off a match strongly instead of taking time to warm up and get into it. So we've got a lot of good stuff to talk about. Real quickly, before we get started, if you're new to the podcast, I just want to let you know that the best way to get the podcast is through iTunes. Whether you have a Mac or a PC, you can use iTunes to get the podcast automatically You don't have to come to the website and right-click on the link and save the file and drag it over to your music player or however else you listen to it. iTunes automatically downloads every show. As it comes out, it refreshes automatically, so you don't have to do it yourself and actually download the file. So use iTunes to listen to the program. That's by far the easiest way. Second of all, I want to tell you guys about our new writer for the Gear Review blog. His name is Wayne Lim, and he just came out with a an article, it's going to be the first one in a series of articles about string power levels, and the title of his article is String Tech 101, String Power Levels, and he talks about what really happens when a tennis ball hits your racket and hits your strings, and he's kind of debunking some popular myths and telling you guys really, you know, the... Uh, really the details about what happens when you actually strike a tennis ball. So really good information. He's a great writer. So go check out Wayne's first article in that series. All right, let's get down to business. Sit back, relax, and get ready for some great tennis instruction. All right, let's get started with today's show by answering a couple questions about the serve which has definitely been a popular stroke to talk about on the podcast as far as technique is concerned. And it's a good stroke to continue to talk about because it's the most important shot in tennis. You can't begin a point without without the serve, and it's the only shot in tennis where you get to set yourself up with the ball and really do whatever you want with it. So it's an extremely important shot to be comfortable with and to be able to develop into a weapon Because it's really your best shot to start off things in your favor. That's why, especially in men's tennis, holding serve is extremely vital in professional tennis and really any level of tennis. If you can hold your serve, that's pretty much literally half the battle (laughs) right there. So uh, let's answer some questions from Yoichi from Japan. And he's a 3.5 level player. And Yoichi, thank you very much for being patient as it's taken a little while to get to your questions here, but hopefully I'll be able to answer them well. He has two main questions here. The first one is, where's the best toss spot for a kick serve? Sometimes my serve bounces to the left instead of right. I am a right-handed player, so a kick serve has to bounce to the right from my point of view. I know the toss is one of the reasons, but I wonder why the ball would bounce to the left instead of to the right. Well good question, Yoichi, and yes, you're correct. A righty right handed player hitting a kick serve uh, should should result in the ball kicking over to the right from the server's perspective. So the ball on on a good on a good kick serve from a right-handed player will will actually curve in midair uh, after it's been struck. It should curve from right to left a little bit and have some arc to it. And then once the ball bounces and hits on the court, it bites and kicks back out again to the right. So it goes from right to left, down into the court, and then bounces back to the right. So it's got some kind of nasty action on it. If you can really hit it well, there's not a lot of recreational-level players that really have a good kick serve. So if you can develop one, it's definitely a weapon. It's a difficult serve to really hit well. Unless you've got a pretty good motion and you're able to really create some good racket head speed. And we'll get to that a little bit later. But for right now, Yoichi, your question having to do with the ball curving the wrong way. If the serve does curve to the left and then continues to go left, you didn't hit a kick serve. That's called a slice serve, a ball that can, that slides from right to left and continues to go left for a right-handed player. That's a slice serve. So you're putting side spin on the ball instead of top spin. A kick serve has a combination of top spin and side spin. And the ball is, is I'm sorry, the racket is traveling. First of all, a misconception a lot of people have about the kick serve is that it's just top spin. Uh, if you hit just a pure topspin serve, Uh, then it should curve down and then kick straight up. Uh, But the definition of a kick serve is actually one that curves from right to left, kind of arcs into the court, and then kicks out to the right again for a righty player. If you're left-handed, your kick serve should kick out to the left. So a kick serve is a combination of topspin and sidespin. A slice serve is a serve that only has side spin, and so it curves from right to left, and only from right to left. It doesn't have that kicking motion up into the air and out to the right. And the difference between those two, Yoichi, is the path of your racket. Your racket path on a slice serve travels to the right, but also forwards. And so you're you're coming across the right side of the ball as you're looking at it, and swinging directly across to the side across the, the right side of the ball and so you're producing side spin and that's it. If you make a swing at the ball and you want to hit a kick serve, the racket has to travel from below the ball upwards and also to the right. The most common way of explaining this is by using the face of a clock. If you can imagine a clock face on the very back of the ball with 12 o'clock pointing upwards, 6 o'clock pointing downwards etc. On a slice serve, you would be swinging at 3 o'clock and you'd want to hit the right side of the ball. On a kick serve, we would want to be swinging uh, for a righty from about 7 o'clock up to 1 o'clock or maybe 8 o'clock to 2 o'clock, somewhere around there. It's not directly from 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock, but the path of the racket needs to go from below the ball upwards and also out to the right to create the tops, the combination of topspin and sidespin to actually make the ball kick. Now you talked about your toss, and this is extremely important. If the toss isn't in the right place, you it, it becomes pretty much literally physically impossible to make the racket travel in the correct direction to produce that type of spin. If you toss the ball out to the side, and again we use a clock for this, this time the clock face will be on the court and 12 o'clock will be pointing directly towards the net, 6 o'clock directly to the backdrop, 3 o'clock to the right down across the baseline, and 9 o'clock to the left. Uh, We would want the ball to land for a slice serve somewhere around 1 or 2 o'clock to hit all side spin and no top spin at all somewhere around 1 or 2 o'clock, somewhere in that range, would be a good toss to produce slice. Now, if you want to hit any topspin, if you want to hit a kick serve, the toss is going to have to start being more behind you. And what I mean by that is actually more to the left if you're facing the net. So we're talking about a toss that would land somewhere around 12 o'clock or maybe 11 o'clock. Really, to hit a true kick serve, a serve that really kicks up and out, uh, the ball is going to have to be back more towards 11 o'clock. Which, which will land actually a little bit behind you, uh, a little bit to the left moving across the baseline if you were to be facing the net. So that toss is extremely important. So Yoichi, if you're trying to hit a kick serve, we want that toss to be about 11, 12 o'clock or so. If you're trying to hit a slice serve, we want it to be around 1 or 2 o'clock. And uh, in his email, he also talked about a flat serve. A flat serve, you would also want to be around 1 o'clock or so. Uh, right in that range. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you mix it up and try to hit a slice serve off an 11 o'clock toss, a ball that's to the left or a little bit behind you, it's really tough to do. And if you toss at two o'clock and try to hit a kick serve, it's virtually impossible. So being able to be accurate with your toss is extremely important. So good question. Next question up for Yuichi has to do with uh, spin serve as well he said please advise me on how to create a fast kick slash spin serve my serve is kind of slow so that everybody seems to return my serve easily good question and you have to understand that in creating racket head speed you can basically transfer the racket Well, in a variety of ways, depends on what type of spin you want to create. But basically, you have two main choices when you create racket head speed on any shot. You can use that racket head speed to hit the ball fast and make it travel through the air quickly, or you can use that racket head speed and momentum to spin the ball and make it rotate, or a combination of those two, depending on what exactly you're trying to accomplish with your shot. And when you take a spin serve, a serve that you're trying to make a lot of rotation on, you're trying to get some good action on the ball, uh, get, get it to curve through the air and bounce and kick to a certain direction or another, uh, when we start to spin the ball like that and try to make it fast at the same time, so not only put that action on the ball, but also make it travel through the air very quickly, it takes a lot of racket head speed to produce both of those results at the same time the pros when uh, when you see a, a male professional hit a ball at 140 miles an hour that's a flat serve there's there's really virtually no spin on the ball there is it's impossible to hit the ball with no rotation at all but relatively speaking there's no rotation on that ball it's it's struck dead square uh, dead You know, the racket meets the ball flushly and the racket's moving towards the intended target and the ball is struck forwards with all of the force being transferred forwards towards the intended target. When pros start to hit kick serves or, or spin serves, uh, really the fastest that you'll see a spin serve, a, a real spin serve, is like 120 or so or maybe 130. Uh, and you'll see the pros, uh, male professionals, hit second serves like around 110 miles an hour or so is where they'll typically top out at. And that's with a lot of spin. Uh, You'll see them sometimes hit more aggressively on a second serve or less aggressively on a first serve. Obviously it varies, but I'm just trying to give you guys an idea of the differences between hitting flat and spin. So Yoichi, to hit a spin serve and to hit it fast takes a lot of racket head speed, is what my point is. And there's basically four main producers of power on the serve. And they are body slash core rotation. So the the turning uh, in a circular path of your your core, meaning your your torso, uh, your chest, you know your abs, your back. The the rotation of your core back and forth is a big producer of power. Also, shoulder tilt. If you look at slow motion videos or photographs of professional players hitting serves, they tilt their shoulders so that there's a slant uh tilted upwards towards the ball and most pros are tilting most male professionals are tilting their shoulders at around 70 degrees or so between 70 80 degrees some pros you'll see tilt all the way to 90 degrees and actually become vertical with the, the plane of their shoulders and that creates a lot of leverage to be able to then rotate back up towards the ball again that's number two number three is bending of the legs and pushing up towards the ball is another source of power. It's a big source of power. You guys, legs are a very strong part of your body. And number four is shoulder and forearm pronation. And that's where the real snap and acceleration of the racket head comes from, is from the pronation of the shoulder and forearm. So those are the the four main areas where power and racket, racket head speed comes from, Yoichi. And the putting together of all four of those things and doing it in a coordinated swing, being relaxed, and doing it smoothly, that's how you're going to reach your full potential. And I don't know which one of those four you need to work on or which ones you're already doing great at. Uh, if you could videotape your your serve and email me a link to a um, to a video of your serve, I'd be happy to look at it and tell you which of those areas you need to work on. I could go in-depth on all four of those, but I won't get into it. But those are the four main areas. And also, for anybody who's interested in hearing more in-depth on the serve, producing more spin, producing more power, we've talked about the serve quite a bit on the Essential Tennis podcast. And, Yoichi, if, if you haven't already gone to the uh, to the podcast archives, definitely do that. Go to EssentialTennis.com slash podcast, then click on the button that says Archives, Log in there and the three main other podcasts that you want to check out are number 22 and that's Adding Power to the Serve. Number 27 was Kick Serve. I talk all about how to hit a good kick serve in podcast number 27 and podcast number 42 was a show all about the serve and I don't remember exactly the topics we went over but I'm sure that it would be useful to you, Yoichi, and anybody else listening who wants to improve their serve. So Yoichi, thank you very much for your great questions. And I think you're the first listener from Japan that I've answered questions for. So great to hear from you. Thank you so much for being a listener. And again, thank you for your patience in waiting for me to answer your questions. Hopefully that was helpful to you. Good luck. All right, next up we've got a couple of great questions from Francisco. He and his sister both play, and he is a 4.0 level player. He wrote to me and has two questions. Here's his first one. My question is, how do you transition what you practice into matches? I was in a tournament about a week ago, and I choked. I was pushing the ball and hitting it back to the center of the court. I would sometimes move the ball around, but I would get nervous and mess up or start hitting to the middle of the court again. I also couldn't hit my first serve at all, even if it was a topspin first serve. I don't know what happened. Please help. Well, Francisco, I totally can understand what you're talking about. And anybody listening, all of our listeners who have played in competition before, whether it be a league match or a USTA tournament or any kind of competition know We all know that it's difficult to play confidently in a competitive environment. And, you know, exactly what situation it is that gets you is is different from person to person. But we're all brothers and sisters (laughs) when it comes to having mental issues uh, in competition. So. Don't feel bad about it. It's something that we've all struggled with and we've had a lot of shows on this as well. If you go to the archives and search for any show that myself and David did, David is a mental tennis expert. Uh, We've done several shows with him and we've talked about topics like this before. And so I have some, some things to tell you, Francisco, that hopefully will be helpful. First of all, confidence in competition is a learned skill. And at a 4.0 level player, you're, you're pretty good. You're a pretty solid player. And so it, I'm not exactly sure how long you've been playing for. I know that Francisco and his sister are both young. I, I think they're both teenagers. And I'm not sure exactly when you started, Francisco, but it takes time. And especially as a, as a younger person, expect it to take a little bit of time before you go out there and you're more confident. And a lot of this this has to do with your experience level. It takes time and it takes practice. And we're going to talk more about that. Mental muscle is something that Coach David Grumping and myself have talked about several times in our Mental Tennis Podcasts. He likes to refer to mental toughness as mental muscle because just like when you go and you work out at the gym and you lift weights and you do repetitions with with big amounts of weight and you kind of you tear your muscles down and they build back up stronger again you have to do that same kind of process with your mental game as well it takes repetition it takes it takes reps being under stress being in pressure situations it takes repetitions of doing that to build up your tolerance level to pressure situations Not only does it take mental muscle, but it takes physical repetition as well. And as a teaching professional, this is kind of what I spend most of my time doing, is helping people get, first of all, understand and know the difference between good technique and bad technique. And once they know the difference between a good swing and a bad one, it's all up to repetition. Doing it again and again and again to build your, uh, your muscle memory to be able to know, all right, this is the good swain I want to use this in this situation and a different swing in a different situation. So mentally you want to put yourself in these tough situations over and over and over again to, to gain mental strength. And that might mean going out and practicing with your friends or with your sister And put something on the line. Go out and play a competitive game again and again where you guys play for something. Maybe for some kind of physical exercise like push-ups or for sprints or or sit-ups or something like that. Or maybe for who buys Gatorades at the end of your hitting session or something like that. Put something on the line so that there's pressure and practice playing in that kind of situation. And then when it comes to physical repetition, you need to go out and practice specific strokes to a specific target over and over and over again to gain that muscle memory so that when you go out, you have the the confidence that you can make those shots and you don't have to go back to just pushing and hitting the ball weakly and hitting back to the middle of the court because you don't have the confidence. You need to practice with targets, with physical targets if possible. Practice hitting specific spots on the court so that when you go out there and compete, you don't have that you know that scared feeling that i 'm not sure if if I can hit it to the deuce side with my forehand or the ad side uh, with your backhand or hit a, an angle volley to win the points or whatever uh, you don 't want that scared feeling and end up hitting shots that aren 't competitive, so you have to get out there and practice mentally and physically, and even with lots of work on both the mental and physical part, players, even the best players, can still choke mentally or physically and and just you know totally break down so again i started off my explanation by saying don't worry about it don't let it bother you um well i take that back i want it to bother you because i want you to work on it and get better at it but don't let it get you down too much because it's something that all of us have to work at it takes a lot of experience and practice so keep working hard on it keep up the good work Second up, uh, Francisco has a question for his sister. This is kind of a mental tennis topic as well. He said, do you have any tips on how to start a match well? My sister was in a match and she lost the first set 6-0 and then went to a tiebreaker and lost the second set in the tiebreaker. I'm pretty sure that she could have won the match, but I guess things were just not clicking. She went on the win the consolation bracket, which is good, but I think had she won the first match, she would have gone further in the regular draw. Any tips on starting off your matches fired up? Well, sure. And I've got three main suggestions here for your sister. And this is a very important topic as well, because you don't want to head into a match cold and not prepared mentally and physically, you know, being sharp and you say fired up. I, I think that's a good way of of describing it. You want to be up both physically and mentally. You want to be alert and prepared and you want to be set for battle in as many ways as possible. So I've got three suggestions here, three tips that I want both of you guys to follow and the rest of our listeners, all of you guys who play competitively, especially when you're playing in a tournament like these two were. And it's great that you guys were playing tournaments, Francisco and your sister. That's excellent. I hope that you guys keep on playing tournaments and every, everybody else listening as well. Uh, when it comes to tournaments, you, you need to be as prepared as possible because the people that go to these events are not screwing around. <laughs> you can't just show up and just kind of walk on the court. You get out of the car, just walk on the court and hit the ball around and expect to 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 win. At, a, at, a, at an event like that, people who come to these events are the most competitive and they work the hardest, and so you need every advantage possible. So my three suggestions for your sister, Francisco, are this. First of all, make sure that you arrive early, every time. Uh, arrive really as early as possible. And even if you have an 8 o'clock match, I would suggest getting there at least half an hour early, preferably 45 minutes or an hour and that probably sounds like a little bit of overkill, but you want to get yourself situated and comfortable and relaxed, and you want to give yourself as much time as possible to settle in and, and really mentally more than anything, just give yourself time to to loosen up and relax mentally. You You don't want to feel rushed. Uh, getting there 10 minutes before the match and maybe you just you know you weren't sure if you're going to make it there on time there was traffic and you get there with 10 minutes to spare and you're all you know agitated and and you were worried worried about getting there and that kind of carries on over onto the court. give yourself a lot of time and if it wasn't an early match let's say it was late morning or early afternoon get there an hour early and watch the other players. And this is a great way for you to kind of find out information about the rest of the tournament, the other players that are playing. Maybe you can see a match between two people that you would have to play next round. And so you can get some good information that way. But really, more than anything, this is a way for you to mentally and emotionally relax, loosen up, and just be calm (laughs) before your match. You don't want to enter the match uh, mentally and emotionally uh, agitated. So that's number one. Number two, warm up physically at least 30 minutes before your match. And I'm really thinking back thinking back on this 30 minutes might be a little much. Uh, I would definitely do it at least 15 or 20 minutes before you actually walk out on, onto the court for your match warm-up. Uh, but any, anything between 15 and 30 minutes, anywhere in there, I would definitely suggest warming your body up. Getting there early is going to help you mentally be calm and relaxed. And then once you get into 15 minutes or half an hour range, start starts to warm up physically. If there's an open court where you can go and, and hit with a partner, uh, with your sister Francisco, hit some serves and uh, some ground strokes, some volleys, that would be ideal. If that's not available, uh, then that's fine. You can bring a jump rope with you and jump some rope, uh, you know, just at a relaxed pace. I wouldn't go overboard and, and you know, break yourself into a huge sweat and, and give yourself a cardio workout, but you want to get your body moving, get it alert, get it warmed up, and you should break a little bit of a sweat, um, but just enough to really get yourself warm. When you guys watch tennis on TV, they're not walking out for the first time on the court that day when they come out with their opponent, they wave to the crowd, and you know, they get their bags set up, then they walk out, and they hit a couple balls back and forth, usually just for five minutes. Most players have already hit balls before them with their coach or with a hitting partner. They've already hit balls, usually at a at a moderate intensity level, to get their bodies going, to get their strokes and their timing going. And if there's any way that you can do that before a match, do that. And if you arrive 10 minutes before your match, you can't do this. So not only mentally and emotionally are you on edge, but physically you're not really very prepared as well. So that's tip number two. Make sure that you warm up well before your match. At least 15 minutes. 15 minutes to half an hour would be great. Thirdly, go into the match with a game plan and strategy already in place. So before the match starts, you need to have some kind of strategy. And you don't even need to know anything about your opponent to be able to do this. Now, don't get me wrong. If you can gain information about your your opponent during your 10-minute warm-up, then awesome. That's that's ideal. You definitely want to know as much as you can about your opponent ahead of time. So if you've played them before or if you had a chance to to watch them in a previous round of competition or maybe you get a good read on what their game is like during the warm-up while you're hitting ground strokes back and forth. You can kind of see which uh, which side has better technique or which side they favor, or you can see if their net game is weak or strong, etc. Th- these are all things you can pick up pick up on ahead of time and start building a strategy around that, preferably towards really trying to exploit their weakness as early as possible. But even if you don't know anything about them, You should still go into every match with a a general strategy based around your strengths. You want to play to your strengths as often as possible. And so if you like your backhand better than your forehand, um, you should be setting up patterns so that you can hit as many backhands as possible. That means hitting your backhand cross-courts most of the time, maybe positioning yourself a little more to the right if you're a righty, to be able to receive backhands on the return of serve etc. And so you should have general things like that already in your head and ready to go when you start the match. So those are my top three things that I think you should be doing before a competitive match, Francisco. Hopefully your sister listens to the podcast as well and she can get this information. But if you do all three of those things, get there early Warm up 15, 30 minutes physically before your match and go into the match with already a strategy, at least a starting strategy. You may have to amend it during the match, and that's fine, but you should have some kind of focus strategically before you even start the match. Francisco, thank you very much for your great questions, and really great to hear from you. He and I have shared emails back and forth a couple of different times. Best of luck to you and your sister, and let me know if I can be of any further assistance in the future. Take care. All right. That brings episode number 79 of the Essential Tennis Podcast to a close. Thank you very much for joining me today and for supporting the show by downloading it and listening to it. If I can ever be of any help to you, definitely let me know. You can reach me at ian at essentialtennis.com. Also, at the beginning of the show, I forgot to tell you guys where to find the gear review blog. Just go to essentialtennis.com and up on the top, you'll see gear review. Click on that to see Wayne's articles. And again, he's doing a great job. Definitely check that out. Lastly, I want to tell you guys about all the other different ways you can connect with Essential Tennis. You can check us out on Twitter at twitter.com slash Essential Tennis, on Facebook at facebook.com slash Essential Tennis, and on YouTube at youtube.com slash Essential Tennis. If you guessed that, you're very smart. You passed the test. All right, that does it for this week. Take care, everybody, and good luck with your tennis.